Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today uh, I'm co-hosting for the first time with Emma Bridgewater. How are you today, Emma? I'm not too bad. How are you? Pretty good. Um, really excited to be hosting with you. Yeah, this uh, is new. This is also my first time hosting in our new venue. For anyone who's interested, we are recording from Weldon Library this time, as opposed to like the basement of UCC. So that's kind of an exciting, uh, it was a fun maze to get here because it, it kind of a winding route from the elevator. Uh, I'm not well acquainted with this building. So uh, for all future guests, it's uh, you know, a good idea to show up like a good 10 or 15 minutes early now because this room is hidden well. <laughs> Weldon. Um, oh, that was terrible. Please edit that out. <laughs> no, no, no. That can stay. Anyway, um, so today we're joined by Natalie Shime, a first-year master's student in health promotion. How are you today, Natalie? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Good. Um, so why don't you tell us just a little bit about your research. So you're in health promotion. So what, what does that mean? Yeah, so health promotion, um, I was drawn to the master's in health promotion because it's a really broad kind of concept and can be applied to a lot of different topics. Basically, health promotion is um, the process of enabling people to increase the control over their health, empower them to make healthy decisions, create supportive environments, and it really encompasses personal behavior and also social determinants of health, so environmental factors, um, things like that. And to me, it just really provides an all-encompassing view of how we can look at health under different topics and for different people. Wow, that's a, that's a great idea because health is so important. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I've, I'm a pretty big health buff. Um, so, so what's the, the more specific topic of your research then? Sure. So my research looks at breastfeeding support for mothers of preterm infants um, in Canadian neonatal intensive care units. So basically I have two different studies. I'm doing an integrated master's thesis and my first one is looking at just generally what breastfeeding supports exist in different NICUs. So contacting, I have about 31 NICUs that I'm looking to interview and just really getting a comprehensive list of the different breastfeeding resources and supports that they offer. So that study will sort of provide a lay of the land and an objective evaluation of those resources. And then my second study is building off of that and is looking at mothers' experiences and perceptions of breastfeeding resources in the NICU, um, looking at their perceptions of the effectiveness, uh, satisfaction, use, accessibility, and just really getting that subjective perspective, which we're finding is really important to get feedback on how well these resources are meeting mothers' needs when they're trying to breastfeed. That's really great, and I think that kind of um, marrying up the two studies sounds like a really great idea, because you're Mm -hmm. going to be looking at kind of what's actually going on, and then, you know, almost as as important, if not more important, would actually be people's perceptions of what is there, uh, because that's just as effective, I, I guess, as important in the effectiveness mm-hmm. as what is there. Um, so I guess the first question I have for you then is going to be, what is the importance of breastfeeding? 
in, in a baby's development? Sure. So for full-term infants, we know that it has uh, tons of health benefits, um, especially long-term health benefits. It's been linked to decreased instance of asthma, obesity, um, and various complications that can extend into childhood and into adult health. But for preterm infants, it's especially important, important because these infants are more vulnerable, their immune systems are underdeveloped, and they're really sort of developing outside of the womb when they should be inside of the womb. So having this connection to their mother and receiving some bioactive compounds through her breast milk is really important for promoting their development. So the benefits for preterm populations specifically range from nutritional, gastrointestinal, um, immunological, developmental. It's really a wide range of benefits that they experience. Um, and the immuno immunological part is especially important because these infants are in the NICU, they're in the hospital, there's high rates of infection, um, such as sepsis and uh, something called necrotizing enterocolitis, which is an intestinal infection that can be potentially life-threatening. So it really is important to promote breastfeeding and breast milk consumption for these infants. And it's been regarded now as breast milk is medicine. So it's a medicine for these infants who really do need it at such a critical time. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, when babies are born, they don't have their own immune system. They don't have any antibodies yet. Mm -hmm. So so basically any antibodies going through their system came from their mom and through the breast milk. Is that, is that correct? To some degree. I'm not too familiar about specifically the immune system part of it and how antibodies develop. I know that some... Um, I believe some, like when a baby's delivered, whether it's vaginally or cesarean, mm -hmm. the microbiota that are on the moms um, in different parts of their bodies get transferred to the infant. So that's a way to do it. But definitely breast milk is a really prominent source of those antibodies and yeah. immunoglobulins and ways that infants can build up their immune system. And it's been demonstrated in research too that um, from an immunological standpoint that these infants tend to fare better than those that get fed formula or fed partial breast milk even. So is there some specific benefit to like the action of breastfeeding beyond just the milk? Because you, uh, you mentioned specifically the benefits of breastfeeding, not just the mother's milk, which you could in theory deliver just by a, by a bottle or right. something. So yeah, definitely. So especially for preterm infants, um, and this kind of ties into skin-to-skin -skin contact a little bit, which I think in the NICU they call it kangaroo care, which is basically where the infant is placed um, naked on the mother's chest, and it gives them a chance to sort of connect. It provides warmth and comfort. And I think um, that also is obviously mirrored in breastfeeding because you're holding the infant at the breast. So just having that sort of close quarters with the mother and infant is really important for infant development and especially for moms when their preterm infant is in, a NICU, in, in an incubator and they're separated it helps moms feel like they're connected to contributing to their infant's well-being and their growth helps sort of decrease the levels of anxiety these moms have and really helps them establish their maternal identity and uh, feel like an actual mom who's connecting with their infant. So um, breastfeeding really, whether it's by bottle, you still get those um, active compounds and you're still conferring the benefit that's in the breast milk. But I think the connection and the physical contact and having mom hold baby and baby feel mom's warmth is especially important for them. Mm -hmm. So how early is preterm in your study? Is it just yeah, so typically infants develop to 40 weeks gestation and preterm, um, it's kind of the universal definition is anywhere less than 37 weeks gestation. Um, and I think it can go, I don't know the exact week of 
sort of the cutoff of survival, but I've heard um, people that I've chatted with have infants as early as 23, 24 weeks. So there really is quite a range. And of course, the infants born earlier, those mothers might require additional support. They might be pumping longer. So there is kind of a wide spectrum of different feeding difficulties that can happen depending on how early the baby is born or how late the baby is born. Okay. And how long are the are these infants typically in the neonatal intensive care units? It really does vary. I couldn't find anything in the literature to say a specific amount of time. I know for my study, um, for my survey of moms in particular, we're looking for moms who've had infants admitted to the NICU for a minimum of five days. And that's really just to give them time to access those breastfeeding resources. It's, it's not really based on an average amount of time that an infant spends, but they can spend a couple days there. They can spend months there. It really just depends on how early they're born, if there are other complications involved, if there are you know, abnormalities that more medical complications that the doctors need to take care of, but it really, it does vary, which is, is difficult, and it, which is why it's so important to have really strong breastfeeding resources if the baby's there for a couple months or so. Okay. So how does breastfeeding then differ mm-hmm. in, in preterm versus, I guess, full-term infants? Sure. So full-term infants typically Um, the mom can feed at the breast generally right away. Those infants have a coordinated suck, swallow, breathe reflex, so they're physiologically able to feed at the breast, whereas infants who are born preterm might not have uh, those reflexes ready. They might not be developed enough to be taken out of the incubator, and they might be, you have to remember, these infants are very small. They get tired very quickly. So for preterm infants and their mothers, mothers specifically, they're doing a lot of um, breast milk pumping and not necessarily feeding at the breast right away, whereas mothers of full-term infants generally can just start feeding at the breast right away. So it's really that breast milk pumping component that needs to be supported and if it's not supported initially mom's probably not going to be feeding at the breast down the line so there's kind of like a sequence of events that happens for moms of preterm infants but that's the main difference is is the pumping probably so there can be major i guess physiological barriers definitely uh, for the baby's ability to even be breastfed exactly yeah okay um yeah because i was was wondering about that because i when i first read your abstract actually i thought well maybe you know there's a a trend toward less education about breastfeeding and its benefits yeah but so there's actually a, a physiological reasons that it, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen um, down the road does it become easier to do and why don't or do new mothers pick it up uh, when they can then yeah so pretty much like and I know you mentioned about the physiological reasons not being able to breastfeed so sometimes that is the case and sometimes it's just the NICU staff aren't really advocating the mom to be pumping her breast milk they're, they're not um, they may not necessarily be comfortable with going through the different feeding steps to see where the infant is at um, and that's not to, to knock the NICU staff you know they do their best they do incredible work every day saving these babies lives and breastfeeding just may not be a priority depending on the culture that's in the NICU but for moms to answer the second part about moms picking it up it really does sort of have to happen immediately after birth because if they're not pumping their breast milk and they're just sort of um, either discarding milk or ignoring what's going on with their 
body that milk production can decrease and it's really hard to get it back up again. So that's why um, early hand expression and early milk expression with a pump even is really important to keep those levels up because a lot of moms of preterm infants especially find that their levels decrease over time. And again, that's that part of when the infant's at the breastfeeding that there's hormones that get triggered that maintain lactogenesis, which is the production of milk. Mm -hmm. So if the infant's in the incubator and mom's pumping but not doing skin to skin or not able to feed at the breast yet, then sometimes her, her supply can decrease over time. So it's really important to get to these moms as soon as possible and really support them strongly as they can from the beginning and hope that they build up their confidence over time. Okay. Um, so is the, the decrease in breastfeeding then specific or, or much more, uh, I guess, seen a lot more commonly then in infants in these NICUs uh, who are preterm versus other preterm infants who, who may not need the, the intensive care? It's hard for me to say because a lot of the literature that looks at preterm infants looks specifically in the neonatal intensive care unit. That's where a lot of them do end up, um, even if just for a couple days to make sure that everything's okay. So mainly we're looking at making sure that the resources are strong and supportive in the NICU. And if a baby is uh, physiologically stable and doesn't need to be in the NICU, then perhaps they can maybe be lumped into the full-term infant category where feeding difficulties aren't as prevalent, um, especially due to the fact that they're not necessarily in an incubator and they're more accessible to mom. Does that make sense, kind of? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Sorry. Uh, So how do you envision, like you keep saying, like supporting the mothers, how do you envision down the line um, incorporating these supports into hospitals that don't already have them? Is it just a matter of, you know, handing them a pamphlet and being done with it and hoping they read it? Or is it like actual like workshops for staff? That's a good question. So for my, and that's the reason I wanted to do the first part um, or the first study first, as opposed to doing the survey first, was because it really helps us understand what NICUs are currently doing as opposed to just going into the NICU and saying, well, moms find this educational pamphlet isn't easy to understand or moms don't get enough skin to skin time or something like that. So having an idea of what supports currently exist and then providing feedback on those supports will really help us zero in on exactly what these supports are doing well and how they can be improved. So I don't envision my study or myself as a researcher going in and saying, this is what you could be doing. And this is a support that moms really like, or this is a novel support that really shows um, promise in clinical trials. It's really just providing feedback on how we're doing, letting them know what the strengths and weaknesses are and giving NICUs things to think about from a mother's perspective to strengthen those supports and help them meet the mom's needs. And a prime example of uh, why we're doing this is there was a study that I read about uh, lactation consultants and their use of hands-on support. So that would be a lactation consultant coming in, moving the baby around, positioning the breast, stuff like that, and actually physically manipulating parts of the mom and the infant's body. And you would think that that would be helpful because it's showing moms exactly what they should be doing. And uh, feedback from moms said that they really didn't like this. They thought it was very intrusive. It it sort of devalued them as a mom and it didn't help them learn. So it's important to note that the presence of a support doesn't necessarily mean that it helps. And so that's kind of where my study comes in and it shows what supports are there. And then also the subjective experience of the women who have them. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about study number one for a second. It's kind of the the literature search. Um, You you mentioned in your abstract that it's called a gray 
literature search. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, and what types of resources are you are you looking at yeah. to get this done? So for that, we wanted to do basically what I'm looking to do is just go on Google, which is not necessarily widely <laughs> um, accepted in the research world, but just going on Google and seeing like what how do hospitals promote their breastfeeding resources, or do they have resources online for moms who have delivered a preterm infant or who are carrying a high-risk pregnancy. So basically with that, I just type in combinations of NICU, breastfeeding, support, preterm, hospital name, and just look at the hits and see what's out there and see what's on the hospital sites to know what they have. Um, and the main reason for that, and as opposed to going through peer-reviewed literature, is because one of the rationales for undertaking this study is that there's a lack of um, the Canadian perspective in this body of literature. So. A lot of the studies that look at breastfeeding support for the preterm infant population take place in a range of countries and settings that have different populations and different circumstances and different health services that exist in Canada. And so I thought it'd be really useful to apply it specifically to Canada. So since that peer review literature doesn't exist, I sort of have to scrap that and use an alternative route, which is why we're going to more gray literature, things that aren't formally peer reviewed or published, but are accessible and people look at widely. Okay. Um, and uh, I guess, so from there then, you, you are going to be conducting interviews. And mm-hmm. you mentioned 31 locations. Right. Um, how do you select them? What, what uh, process did you go through to select specific hospitals? Was it all of the hospitals in Canada of a certain mm-hmm. type or... Yeah. So for NICUs, there's different levels, um, and and an increasing level means they provide more increasingly critical care. They can handle more high-risk infants. So there's level one, two, three, and I think there's a couple level fours, level four NICUs as well. But basically, I want I thought that looking at the level three ones would capture a wide proportion of the preterm infants that are born, because oftentimes those level three NICUs have a level two step-down NICU or even a level one step-down NICU. So if you're looking at a level three NICU who has a level two and a level one versus just a level one NICU, you're, you're expecting to get more preterm infants, obviously, in the level three NICU, just within that hospital. And a lot of the research that's conducted in NICUs is conducted at tertiary care or level three hospitals, um, just because they might have a research program affiliated with it. So that's why I took that route. And also because the number of NICUs in Canada um, is quite... Uh, extensive and I knew that I wouldn't be able to tackle them all so I just sort of looked to prior literature and and tried to use some common sense and figure out how can we capture the most preterm infants and examine the supports that are most widely accessible or widely accessed by moms and preterm infants. Okay well what uh, does the representation look like across Canada? Do you have some in every province or? For NICUs? Yeah. There are I think probably the most in Ontario. We know like SickKids, Sunnybrook, um, Mount Sinai, London Health Sciences, um, CHEO, the one uh, in Ottawa. And then there's maybe one or two in other provinces. And there's also a lot in um, Quebec, which is a bit difficult for me to get a hold of because sometimes they don't speak English. But I would say Ontario definitely has the most. And even when I talk to the NICUs in different provinces, because the interviews are underway, a lot of the times they do say that babies come from out of province, depending on um, where the hospital is situated. So um, they really just sort of try and stagger them with a, throughout Canada, one or two everywhere, and hope that if there's an infant that's maybe in an area where there's no NICU, they can transport them in via air. But definitely Ontario does have the yeah. most. So you're in a good spot to be doing this then. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So how many uh, 
I guess, how are you conducting your interviews? Is it mostly mm -hmm. phone interviews or yeah. are you going to the hospitals at all and meeting some of the people? Yeah, so I was, uh, my first interview was actually here in London and it was nice because I actually got to go to the NICU and walk around the NICU for the first time and get a sense of what the environment is like, what it looks like, um, how many staff are there, um, what the layout of the NICU is, if it's open concept. So that was my first interview and helped to really inform um, my questions a little bit more. I have a great contact with the NICU um, here, so I can always follow up if I need a bit more clarification or if I have a question just about the NICU in general, they're always willing to help um, clarify that for me. But most of them are conducted over the phone. I wish I could go see them all because it would be really neat to see how different NICUs are structured, but given the geographic variability of everything, I do have to conduct a lot of them over the phone. But people have been uh, really responsive when I do call the NICUs and say, who can I talk to about breastfeeding? A lot of them do say, oh, we're really supportive of breastfeeding or we're really trying to um, make our breastfeeding supports and policies better. We'd love to participate in this research. So the response I've been getting from NICUs is great, which is really nice. That's great. Mm -hmm. What criteria do you have for the, for the moms that you will interview? So the interviews that I'm doing for the, the study one are actually just of NICU staff. Oh, the staff. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. So I should have specified, but that one is um, the NICU staff. So what I do is I call the NICU and say, who is the best person to chat with about breastfeeding resources? Okay. And they might refer me to uh, a nurse educator or a lactation consultant who's just really well-versed in the different supports that they have. So I'll sit down and interview them and just get like a, a comprehensive list of everything that they offer, whether that's educational handouts, um, whether they have a support group, online resources, anything like that. So that's the first study. Then the second study is where the moms come into play and they okay. provide me with that uh, subjective experience. Okay. Um, so in that study, I guess, mm -hmm. how, how do you select the moms then? Yeah, so we have um, some inclusion exclusion criteria, but I think the main thing is that the moms have been in a NICU um, in the past five years for a minimum of five days. It's not the mom, it'll be the infant that's been admitted to the NICU. And it's gonna be a singleton in infant um, just because moms of multiples, twins, triplets, probably experience different barriers than moms of singleton infants. So that just sort of removes that confounder from it. Um, and also have experienced breastfeeding in the NICU. Um, some exclusion criteria is mainly mirrored from other studies that I've looked at who survey these moms or interview these moms um, and just talks about a reported history of mental illness or medical complications that prevent breastfeeding. So I really look to the other, other literature to inform my inclusion exclusion, but we try to make it as broad as possible so that we can capture the perspectives of a lot of Canadian moms. Okay. How many moms have you interviewed so far? Moms, we haven't um, done because that's kind of the survey part, so that's okay. still under development. Yep. In terms of the hospitals, we've interviewed, uh, I think I have about 14 or 15, so about halfway there, um, which is nice, and I'm really hoping to get all of them because I would think it would be really great to say that this study is 100% you know, Canadian and has full support from all the NICUs, but um, obviously when research involves human participants, it's difficult to deal with scheduling and with getting responses from people. So it has been, um, have had some difficulty tracking people down, but once I do get a hold of them, it's um, like I said, the response is great and they're willing to participate. So it's just a matter of keeping on, picking up the phone and sending those emails and getting the rest <laughs> of them scheduled. Okay. So you mentioned that you got to go see a NICU. Mm -hmm. What was it like? Um, so I guess, what was your perspective yeah. on it? So, um, like I said, I'd never been to a NICU before, and I was sort of nervous to go in because I guess I kind of picture babies 
and like nursery area, especially NICU with infants who are maybe medically compromised. I expect it to be a little bit more chaotic, maybe like babies crying, monitors beeping type thing. It's very sort of tranquil and serene. It's very quiet. The lights are dim. Um, they try and make as minimal sound as possible. You hear people whispering, and that's really just to decrease the stress for the infant. So I think that's something that I didn't realize was so important, um, was making sure that it's a calm environment. And it also, I'm sure, helps moms, too, to not hear the equipment going off or hearing other moms, you know, getting upset or babies crying. So it really was just um, unexpected to me that it was so peaceful, and I thought that it was... Um, like a, a great environment to have for infants given the stress that they are under. But um, it was definitely interesting to walk around and see how it's organized and, and stuff like that. Okay. So beyond some of the physiological things that we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. in the interview, what kind of barriers do moms encounter in, in these NICUs mm -hmm. that would prevent them from uh, breastfeeding? Yeah. So there's been... Um, a handful of studies that have looked specifically at barriers for these moms and they've noted that there's a, a unique set of barriers these moms face. A lot of it's associated with the NICU environment, so being separated from their infant tends to be difficult. Um, the feeding schedules in the NICU, sometimes they feel like they're not included in their infant's care or in the feeding schedule or um, how they're feeding the infant. So that's difficult for moms who are trying to establish that maternal identity and trying to feel like they're caring for their infant. Um, there's issues with transportation sometimes if they're discharged from the hospital and they maybe don't live close by, they have to get back and forth. Um, pumping represents a large barrier just because it's um, it's different from breastfeeding in that you don't have the infant there and it's, um, there are some struggles with you know making sure their milk supply is sufficient or even if um, objectively their milk supply is sufficient. Moms can perceive that their milk supply is decreasing and that psychological stress um, acts as a barrier to producing more milk. And just the general stress and fatigue of having this compromised infant in the hospital who sometimes it's really day-to-day -day, you don't know whether they're going to survive. So on top of the medical issues that come with having a preterm infant, moms are also trying to breastfeed and it really can just be a lot for them to deal with. So um, definitely a lot of barriers that they face. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, you know, have time probably for one last question, sure. but um, in all the research that you've been conducting, have you come across any great ideas for improving, um, I guess, NICUs yet? Uh, what Moving forward, yeah. how can they do it better? Yeah, it's hard for me to say until I do the survey of moms because that'll give me the most rich feedback, but I know there are some um, resources that I've learned about that are I think are exceptional and I think would be really useful to moms but it would be interesting to see if they think uh, the same way. There's one at um, London Health Sciences right now. I think it's called Maven, spelled M-A-V-I-M, but I don't know if they call it Mavens or Mavens Clinic. But basically it's this online virtual clinic and it has um, tons of videos and resources for moms to access, and they can access it in the hospital, they can access it on their phone, on a computer. Um, there's a lactation consultant that works at the hospital that goes online and answers their questions. There's breastfeeding tips, there's a discussion board where they can talk with other moms. And I think it's really important to think about how technology will play a role in support because everyone's on their smartphones, everyone 
has an iPad, everyone's surfing the web looking for information. So I think something like that where we're not just handing out educational pamphlets, we have all the information in one place. And it also facilitates kind of peer support also because there's other moms who can maybe say, oh, I've been through this too and this is how I dealt with it or even just hang in there supporting each other, stuff like that. So I thought that was a really cool resource and it'll be interesting um, to see what the results of that, because that's an ongoing study at Lend Health Sciences. It'll be interesting to see the results of that study and see if moms really found it useful or if it's just sort of um, something that they don't necessarily have time to do given everything going on in the NICU. But that's definitely one that stood out to me that I think uh, does hold some promise. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Thank you very much, Natalie, <laughs> you, for guys. coming on the show. Thanks for having um, me. We'd love to have you again sometime when... Sure. Uh, uh, this is further in its in its development. Definitely. Uh, this has been Gradcast. I'm Alex. Yeah. And I'm Emma. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And see you guys all next time. Bye. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.